Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the HypnoDojo, a place of learning for practitioners and students of hypnotherapy. Get your black belts in all things hypnotherapy as we whip into shape your mindset, mastery, and marketing. Relax, enjoy, learn. Here's your sensei, Linda Campbell. Hi, and welcome to the HypnoDojo. I'm Linda Campbell. I'm the director of the Horizon Center School of Hypnotherapy and president of CASH, the Canadian Association of Counseling Hypnotherapists and Educators. And uh, today I want to talk about how to help your client deal with uncomfortable emotions. So, so many people who come for hypnotherapy are coming to deal with pain, whatever kind of pain, sometimes physical pain, but very often emotional pain. We get people with depression, anxiety, anger, people who are dealing with guilt and shame and grief, uh, dealing with rejection, betrayal, disrespect, loss, abandonment, failure, feelings of hopelessness, powerlessness, frustration. So these are all really painful emotions. And, of course, people are kind of funny. What do we do when we're in pain? We don't want to be in pain, so we want to feel better or not feel the thing that it is we're feeling. So people use a lot of different coping mechanisms or strategies for trying to handle or not feel the pain that they're feeling. And there's all kinds of ways that we try to get out of experiencing pain. One way that we try to get out of experiencing pain is by numbing it. And this could be food, this could be alcohol, this could be drugs, any kind of self-medication, anything that we can possibly do to not feel. Uh, One option here, which may sound a little strange because it sounds like it's counterproductive to trying to numb pain, is actually self-harm. A lot of people misunderstand self-harm. They think self-harm, cutting, that sort of thing, is a person um, like trying to kill themselves or hating themselves, that sort of thing. But here's another way of looking at it. If a person is in some kind of emotional pain, The physical pain of cutting or self-harm of some form can be a way to not feel the emotional pain. Now I'm focused on this physical pain, it trumps the emotional pain. I don't have to feel the emotional pain for a little while. Or it can be a way to release emotional pain. Sometimes emotional pain is so internal and, and having a way to feel it that is different uh, can be uh, you know, a way to kind of dis- displace the pain. So numbing the pain is one option we use through self-medication or through self-harm. We'll also avoid anything we can do to not experience the pain or anything that we anticipate is going to cause us pain. So this might be dissociation. I'm just not in my body. If I'm in my body, I feel pain, so I take off. This could be uh, blocking memories. So people who have repressed memories who, you know, shove their memories way down because If it's not in front of me, I don't have to look at it. Uh, This could be a person who just shuts down emotionally uh, or somebody who isolates. If I don't get close to anybody, then I'm not going to experience pain. As long as I don't open myself up to feel, then I'm okay. And, of course, we distract ourselves away from pain. 
And again, this could be anything that takes our attention off of what it is we're feeling. It could be shopping. It could be gaming. Lately, I've had all kinds of clients coming in with a whole brand new issue that's going to be cropping up, I'm sure, in a lot of therapist offices, and that's like addiction to screen time. <laughs> I had a client who was on her screen from the moment she woke up in the day in the morning till when she went to bed at night, one type of screen or another. So again, it can be a way to distract. As long as I'm focused over here, I don't have to feel the thing I'm feeling. Another way of distracting is to create chaos in our lives. This could be chaotic relationships. This could be always having problems, always having a crisis. As long as I have something to solve, as long as I have something to focus on, I can avoid feeling. I can avoid going into that painful place. So we numb, we avoid, we distract, we shove it down. We can stuff our emotions. People often do this with food, but we can do this in other ways as well. Uh, One way of stuffing an emotion is developing kind of a whatever attitude. If we quit caring about things, then we can avoid being hurt. So you see people kind of going through life, I don't care, I don't know, I don't, you know, not getting invested in anything, not getting involved in anything as a way of just keeping that emotion uh, at bay. And then, of course, we try to feel pleasure. So instead of feeling the bad thing, we gravitate towards feeling something good. So again, this could be drugs, alcohol, sex, relationships. Uh, Some people escape into a fantasy world. So, you know, I will create this fantasy world in my brain where everything is perfect and everything is wonderful and where I'm loved and taken care of or whatever it happens to be. And that's a way of, you know, feeling pleasure or avoiding the painful situation. I just go off in my brain. Uh, Another way to self-medicate that I forgot to mention earlier is anger. Anger is actually a form of self-medication. Take a moment to consider a cat that is terrified. What does a cat do when it's afraid? It fluffs up all of its fur, spikes it up, it bares its teeth, it hisses, it shows its claws. So when a cat is afraid, it comes across as angry. So anger is a form of self-medication, a way of feeling more powerful than we actually feel inside. Because I feel scared or I feel hurt or I feel like I'm in pain of some type, I try to make myself big and angry and impressive, and it's really about keeping people away and trying to make myself feel better than I actually feel. So when clients come in with these particular strategies, they're using food, they're using alcohol, they're using drugs, they're dissociated, they're self-harming, they're distracted with busyness and chaos and always having things to do and to solve and to focus on. They're using food to shove down their emotions. Uh, They're angry. They're using other forms of self-medication. They're addicted to screens or whatever. Often, these are all just coping mechanisms, all just behaviors that people are using to try to deal with their pain. And if we just take away the coping mechanism without addressing the pain underneath, what happens, right? You need another coping mechanism. I call it whack-a-mole. If you've ever played that fair game, whack-a-mole, where the moles come up and you hit them with a hammer, what kind, who is the saddest, who is the sadist who came up with this game? This is crazy. Anyway, a mole pops up, you hit it with a hammer, another mole pops up, you hit it with a hammer, and you're supposed to hit as many moles as you can. I think of these types of behaviors as being a little bit like playing whack-a-mole. If somebody is using the self-medication of alcohol to deal with their pain and you just take away their coping mechanism, you give them suggestions to no longer drink, they've got willpower and self-control, but you haven't addressed the underlying pain, 
they still need another coping mechanism. So another coping mechanism pops up. So maybe now they're going to, you know, involve themselves in chaotic relationships as a way of distracting away from the pain. And then you, you know, talk to them about healthy relationships and take them out of their chaotic relationship. Now you've removed their coping mechanism and another one's going to pop up. So obviously what we need to do is address the underlying pain, not just remove somebody's coping mechanism. And I do want to step in here and say that we don't want to beat ourselves up for the methods we come up for hand, with for handling pain. Uh, ultimately, somebody who's choosing one of these coping mechanisms is looking for a solution, and that's healthy. That's beautiful to recognize that there's a problem and to try to find some way to improve the situation. It just so happens that they're improving a situation in a way that actually causes more problems. But that's how the subconscious works. It sees a problem. It tries to solve it, but because it's illogical, it sometimes tries to solve it in a way that just creates more problems. And, of course, often the people that we see in hypnosis are people whose pain started in childhood, complex trauma, some kind of abuse, a, a parent who was uh, you know, unhealthy themselves. And when we're kids, we don't have a whole lot of options, so we will use whatever is immediate, whatever is available. The options are limited, so, of course, we don't pick consciously these coping mechanisms. It's just what we're drawn to because we need some way to mitigate the pain. But when you think about it, pain is actually really important. Uh, Pain draws your attention to something that's wrong so that you will correct it and the pain will go away. So for example, if you have a toothache, this is some healthy part of you going, there's something wrong here. You need to get to a dentist and have this checked out. You go to the dentist, he fixes the issue, the problem is solved, the pain goes away. So pain is a a reminder that there's something that you have to pay attention to. There's something you have to take care of. So pain is a little bit of a tap on the shoulder. Hey, pay attention to me. There's something to look at over here. If we ignore it, it gets louder. And, of course, we want to pay attention to it before it becomes a, a big Mack truck and just rolls over us. So we can try to shove it down. We can try to ignore it or distract it or uh, numb it for so long. But whatever it is we're not dealing with, it just keeps trying to present itself in front of us. One of my clients said to me that what we don't deal with just waits for us, and that's absolutely true. The analogy that I use with my clients is trying to hold a beach ball underwater. If you've ever tried to hold a beach ball underwater, you know that it takes a lot of energy and strength to keep that beach ball submerged. And if you let up for even a second, the beach ball does what? It shoots out in the other direction with equal force. And so when we're trying not to deal with our pain by numbing it or shoving it down or distracting away from it, it's like we're holding all of that pain inside our system. We're pushing the ball underwater. And so it's looking for an avenue to come out. This is why I believe people cry at the SPCA commercials or they rage at the person in front of them when they're stuck in traffic. That emotion that they're trying to contain is looking for an escape valve. And as soon as you let up for even a second and an opportunity presents itself, that emotion is trying to come out. It's, it's right below the surface trying to get attention, trying to be released. So, I said that I'm going to give you an analogy that I use with my clients in hypnosis to help them to understand the importance of their pain or their emotions, you know, whatever it is they've come to grapple with. I think all of these emotions really are, you know, leading back to some kind of pain or creating some kind of pain. So that instead of trying to distract away from them or numb them or push them down, they're able to kind of embrace them and look at what that emotion has to say to them. 
So here's the analogy I use. And if you're interested in getting a copy of this, uh, I'm going to just kind of wing it, but I do have a written copy that I'm glad to pass on to you. You can contact me at info at horizoncenterhypnotherapy.com or info at yourauthenticself.ca. Happy to pass it on to you. So what I say to my clients in hypnosis is that all of our emotions are like the indicators on the dashboard of a vehicle. If you think about being in your car, there's all of these indicators that let you know what you need to pay attention to in order to feel safe in the vehicle and in order to keep the vehicle running well. So there's the gas gauge, of course, that lets you know when the vehicle's running low on gas. There's an oil light that turns on when it's time to put in oil. There's a windshield wiper fluid light that lets you know when you need to top up that fluid. And, of course, a speedometer that lets you know if you're going to get a ticket or you're going to be pulled over for going too slow. So all of these indicators are not good or bad. You know, we don't have to feel bad if the oil light comes on. We just have to respond to it, right? If the oil light comes on, there's a particular action we need to take in order to deal with that particular situation. If the oil light comes on and we don't put oil in the vehicle, we know we're going to end up with a bigger problem. We're going to end up stranded on the side of the road with our engine seized up. Same with the gas gauge, same with the windshield wiper fluid. All of these indicators are feedback from the vehicle, letting us know what we need to pay attention to so that we can feel comfortable in the vehicle. If they made a vehicle that didn't have any of these indicators, I don't care how cheap they made the vehicle, nobody would ever buy it. How safe would you feel driving in a vehicle that didn't have any of those indicators? You would have no idea if you're about to run out of gas. You would have no idea if your engine is about to seize up. You'd have no idea if you're going too fast or too slow if you're about to get pulled over. And we know that if we don't have that information, we could end up with a bigger problem. So you wouldn't feel safe. You wouldn't feel comfortable driving in a vehicle that didn't have any of those indicators. Nobody would be foolish enough to just, you know, put a piece of paper over the indicators in their vehicle. If I don't see you, you're not there. I'm not going to deal with you. We know that these are valuable bits of information that help us to feel safe. And again, we also know that there are specific calls to action that each of those indicators is asking us to take. We know, sometimes I'll say this to a weight loss client, that if the windshield wiper fluid light comes on, the call to action is put in more windshield wiper fluid. If we put gas in the tank when the windshield wiper fluid lights up, we're, heating, we're not heating the correct call to action. We're, we're doing it incorrectly. That light is still going to be on. There's still going to be the problem. doesn't make sense to put gas in the tank when the problem is really the windshield wiper fluid. So what does this have to do with our emotions? Our emotions are exactly the same. Our emotions are neither good nor bad. We classify them as good or bad because we like the way some of them feel, happiness, love, joy. We don't like the way other ones feel, frustration, anger, loneliness. But they're neither good nor bad. They're just feedback from this physical vehicle of ours, letting us know what it is we need to pay attention to so we can feel safe in this physical vehicle and, and keep it well-maintained. So, for example, frustration is not a negative thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just some healthy part of ourselves telling us that we need to try a different approach. What we're doing is ineffective. Loneliness isn't a bad thing. Loneliness is some healthy part of ourselves trying to signal that we need to make more human interaction, more human contact. We're not connecting enough. And so all of our emotions have a call to action. If we refuse to pay attention 
to what the vehicle is asking us to do, we end up with a bigger problem. If we shove those signals down, if we cover them up, if we ignore them, we end up stranded on the side of the road. So it's really important for us to pay attention to what our emotions are asking us to do. Just like when you put oil in the <laughs> in the gas tank, don't do that. If you put oil in the vehicle, the light shuts off. When you try a different approach because you're feeling frustrated, the frustration shuts off. If you make human contact because you're feeling lonely, the loneliness signal shuts off. So I talked to my client about being able to, in the moment, check in with what it is they're feeling and ask, what is the call to action? What is this emotion about? What is it that I need to do in order to shut off this signal? And I talk about how the subconscious always has an answer. The subconscious is the part of the mind that generates all of the emotions. So it knows where it's coming from. It knows what needs to be done in order for that signal to be dealt with. And so I'll have the client in the chair think about some of their signals, some of the emotions that they deal with. You know, if they're coming in to deal with depression or they're coming in to deal with anxiety or they're coming in to deal with anger, what is the call to action? What is your subconscious asking you to do? So the analogy that I will use with them, but there's all kinds of other things to consider as well. Uh, sometimes clients are afraid to experience pain or experience their emotions because they're afraid that they're going to be overtaken by them. If I allow myself to go into my depression or my anger, I may never come back. I may do something terrible. And so, of course, with something like depression, we need to make sure the client isn't potentially suicidal but if it's a client who's just like, I don't know what would happen if I allow myself to really feel my feelings, I'm nervous, I'm anxious about that, then there's some things we want to do. We want to reassure them that it's temporary. All of our emotions are temporary, even the positive ones. Every human being out there has experienced love or joy or happiness or what have you. But how long does it last, right? It, it's, we can't go around in a constant state of bliss. I mean, if you have managed to figure that out, let me know how you did it. Send me an email. I'd love to know that. But most of us, we go through a variety, a spectrum of emotions over the course of any given week or even day. And so our emotions are fleeting. So it's okay to allow yourself to feel something. You will come through it. And in fact, the only way that we can process an emotion is to actually allow ourselves to feel it. We can't heal something if we're not looking at it, right? So I reassure the client that the only way to deal with it is to essentially let that beach ball rise to the surface. The reason our emotions feel so intense is we're shoving them down. So we're using so much force that when we do experience them, we're experiencing that reverse force coming back at us, if that makes sense. So we want to reassure the client that they're going to get through it, that temporary emotions are all temporary that it's safe to let that beach ball come to the surface, it's already causing damage to shove it down. The choice of coping mechanisms that a person uses to try to deal with or suppress their emotions are probably even more damaging than the emotion itself. So that list that I gave earlier of coping mechanisms that people are using, food, alcohol, drugs, cutting, addiction, uh, any of the chaotic relationships and having problems all the time, these things are adding complications to your life. They're unhealthy. They're already harmful. So is it worth to examine the emotion and where it's come from and deal with it and not have to have those coping mechanisms anymore? Or to have those coping mechanisms and have them continue to cause you distress and challenges and physical issues? 
because those tools that we use, those strategies are hard on the body. When we're containing and repressing and avoiding emotion, we're hurting ourselves. So we also want to give the client tools to handle being able to go into the emotional place. So this might be grounding, helping people to just feel solid and stable and sturdy in their bodies, to be connected to the earth. We might be teaching them some breathing exercises so that they can keep themselves calm and grounded. We might be encouraging them to use support systems that they have. Do they have people in their lives who can help them, who can be there for them if they need to go into something emotional? They might be doing some journaling. Or we might be working directly with the client in hypnotherapy, giving them an opportunity to tap into that emotion, to feel what it is they're feeling, to be there while we support them, hold space for them, you know, help them to process the feeling There's exercises, of course, that we could be doing in hypnosis. You know, is this feeling the person is experiencing related to some past event? Where is it coming from? Helping them to understand where it was generated and then working through whatever that event is. So you might be familiar with affect bridge. Sometimes people have a powerful feeling, but they don't know where it's coming from, whether this is anger or depression or anxiety So affect bridge is a regression technique where you can have the person focus on the sensation or the feeling that they're experiencing and then tell them that their their job is to keep their attention focused there. While they're focused, you're going to count from five down to one. As you count down without going into any specific event or location, you don't want them to relive the experience, at least I don't, that's how I work, they're going to become aware of the origins of that feeling the very first time they ever felt that way. And so this is a way of for a client who doesn't know what their emotion is all about, having them identify what the initial sensitizing event, what the cause of that feeling was, so that you can then work through it with them in hypnosis. If the feeling that they're experiencing, maybe it's betrayal or abandonment, has to do with another person, we can give the person the opportunity in hypnosis to address that other person. So in this case, I will have them imagine bringing that person into the space in their mind and the person is inanimate, they're on pause so that they can't say anything or do anything, they're just there to receive what the client has to say, and then I let the client privately inside their mind, people are way more honest when I'm not privy to it, I have the client say whatever needs to be said or do whatever needs to be done so that they can feel complete with that other person. So I've had people, you know, have to give what for to the other person. I had one client push the other person out a window, go figure. Uh, I've had clients you know, say they forgave the other person. So people will figure out what it is they need to do and what they need to say in order for it to feel resolved. So if that feeling stems back to an event or a person, we can work through it with the client in hypnosis. And that really is, in a sense, allowing that beach ball to come to the surface. We're looking at what that emotion is about instead of just trying to shove it down. And so when people come in, I think it's important for them to understand if they're coming in to work on what's essentially a coping mechanism that we really need to look at what is this coping mechanism meant to help them with, and let's work on that. When you work on the underlying cause, when you work on the event or situation that caused the feeling and you discharge the feeling, the coping mechanism is no longer required. So sometimes people come in and they're focused on the coping mechanism. They're coming in because they have an addiction and they're hoping that you're going to put them in the chair and tell them they have willpower and self-control and presto changeo, they're no longer an addict. I actually have a client right now who is addicted to cocaine. And what he wants to work on is saving money because every time he has money, he spends it on coke. Now, we've had to have a big, long conversation about 
We will get there eventually, but what we're really needing to work on is what is the trauma, and there is trauma in his history, uh, what is the trauma that has caused him to uh, deal with it using coke? Let's work on the trauma, make the coke less necessary so that he can have money without spending it. If we do it in the wrong order, if I try to talk to him about saving his money and we haven't worked on the trauma, and he's using cocaine to deal with the trauma, if I talk to him about saving the money, guess what's going to happen? As soon as he has enough money saved up, he's going to blow it on coke because there's still trauma that he's trying to deal with. So we're going to get to the saving the money eventually, but first we need to work through all of the stuff that's happened in his past that have caused him to have pain that he's now trying not to feel by numbing it with coke. And when the trauma is worked through and he no longer feels the attraction to coke, there's no longer the craving, he'll be able to save the money naturally. So we want to make sure we're doing it in the right order. Deal with the underlying cause. Explain to the client how the trauma or, you know, wherever that emotion or that pain stems back to, how it's important for us to look at that and resolve it. And then as a result, the other things that they want to achieve will fall into place. So I hope this has been helpful to you. Again, if you'd like to have that script about the uh, dashboard of the vehicle, I'm happy to send it to you, info at horizoncenterhypnotherapy.com or info at yourauthenticself.ca. And hey, if you have a topic that you would like to have covered on an episode of HypnoDojo, send me an email about that as well. Every week, I'm kind of picking my own brain about what do I want to talk about or what do I think would be useful for people to hear. I would love to know, those of you who are out there listening, what you'd like to hear more about. If you're interested in training, I offer both in-person and face-to-face online classes through my school. The next classes, what I'm going to actually do is combine my online and my in-person class. So what that would look like is my class will be meeting in person once a month, one weekend a month, and we will Zoom in the online students so that they're in the room with us. We'll put them up on a big screen so that everybody can see each other and hear each other, and we can do practice sessions. They can break off into breakout rooms and practice. I can view their practice sessions. So instead of having two separate programs where the online students are working through it uh, with me on a weekend and my in-person students are working through it with me on another weekend, I am combining them. And part of this is I want to put on a bunch of workshops I've got some workshops in the works, (laughs) workshops in the works coming up. Uh, If you're interested in knowing more about the workshops, you can contact me with one of those email addresses as well. Workshops coming up. I will be having one uh, that is about creating hypnotic argument and writing better suggestions. If you don't know what to say to your clients when you've got them in hypnosis, that workshop is for you. In May, there's going to be a workshop on courting that I'm going to be putting on with a colleague and student of mine, Arnie. Uh, That workshop is going to be about looking at how we are energetically attached to the people that we have had intimate relationships with and what to do about that. It's going to be a really fascinating workshop. And I'm also looking at putting on one on complex trauma, another on helping clients with OCD, and another on PTSD. So if those topics appeal to you, or again, if you have another topic you'd like to recommend, please contact me and I will give you more information. All of the courses will be either in person uh, with an option to zoom in 
or they will be recorded and then you can purchase them afterwards and watch them at your own pace. So thank you so much for tuning in. Have a fantastic weekend. This has been Linda Campbell of the Hypno Dojo. Okay, take one. <laughs> with corrections with Campbell. With Campbell.